So, for today's message, we have the following passage, and it is only one verse today. It's probably the shortest passage we've ever had, but it comes from Colossians 3.15, and it will be up on the screen behind me. So, Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I bet you were thankful. One sentence. Boom. <laughs> Dunzo. There it is. <laughs> but it's good to just read it in its totality, uh, no matter how long or short it is. Uh, and uh, well, it's good to be together. And uh, we're continuing our Christmas series talking about the peace of Jesus. This peace that we are striving for, and we celebrate at Christmas time the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of the Prince of Peace, and, and yet we don't want to miss out on that. We don't want to miss out on the peace that Jesus came to bring our lives, uh, and the true peace that we can experience and we can express to others. Now, it is the holiday season, a time where people uh, tend to be very generous and giving. Uh, I want to do just a quick showing of hands, if you've ever experienced this before. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have participated in a Starbucks drive-through, pay-it-forward, pass it, you know, somebody bought your drink, you buy somebody else's drink? How many, raise your hands if you've ever gone through the Starbucks drive-through and participated in one of these, right? Yeah? All right. How, other show of hands, how many of you have ended the pay-it-forward? <laughs> one honest hand. Just kidding. Just kidding. If you're not familiar with this, you... you are going through Starbucks, and the car in front of you uh, has asked the barista to, what your order is, and they pay for your order. And so by the time you get up there, your order is paid for. And they say, you know, often, do you want to pay for the person behind you? And I read an article this week uh, that says uh, in Florida, they had a streak of 458 people. Lasted 11 hours until one dude. One guy showed up. It wasn't Greg. He was not in Florida. I checked. One guy shows up and says, nope, I'll take my coffee. Thank you so much. But, you know, this idea is, is that we receive a blessing, and then what do we do? We pass on a blessing. We give a blessing to someone else. We receive, no matter the cost, I'm going to be blessed, but then I don't know what they've ordered. What, you know, what if I have a whole soccer team behind me that ordered like grande or venti frappuccinos with extra whip? You know, that, okay, I'll be generous to that, you know, because it's kind of this blind generosity, but we, we receive and we give. And today we're talking about the peace of Jesus and that Jesus extends us peace, right? Jesus is like the guy at the very front of that Starbucks line that paid the cost first. Right? Jesus extends us peace so that we can experience peace, which is awesome, right? Jesus extends us peace so that we can experience peace, but then we are called to then express peace to others. We aren't just be people who experience peace for ourselves and say, oh, isn't it great to be a Christian? It's just so warm and fuzzy. I am at peace with the world and everybody else. Good luck. The peace of Jesus must come out of us and our lives, and a lifestyle of living it out. And so today's message, if you were to just title it very simply, is just peace out. Peace out. Not that I'm leaving, but that the peace of Jesus needs to come out. It needs to 
permeate, ooze out, come out, be expressed outwardly from my life, from our lives. And today we're looking at this one sentence uh, from Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And it's a very simple sentence, but it packs a punch on peace. Ooh, how do you like that? Packs a punch on peace and, uh, and challenges us to live a lifestyle of peace. And so looking at this passage, uh, we're going to look at the various segments of it. And, and right out of the gate, one of the main things he, he brings up is the peace of Jesus. He brings this up. And we talked about this last week, was the peace of Jesus. And he, he talks about letting the peace of Jesus be in your heart. Right? The peace of Jesus is different than the peace of this world, and that's what we talked about last week, is the peace of this world is very circumstantial and, and temperamental and you know, goes with the wind sort of kind of peace that we, we experience here in the world. But the peace of Jesus, this wholeness, completeness, this soundness that we can feel and experience in Christ. Man, that true pre- peace, that true peace, not priest, the true peace brings wholeness to us. It restores our relationship with God. We talked about that in week one. That this division between us and the creator is broken because of the peace of Jesus. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace within myself. I'm at peace in my mind and in my heart. That's the peace of Jesus. And that's in us. That's a part of our lives. It's like a sponge, you know, uh, using a sponge to clean a countertop. You ever try to use a sponge, you, you, you saturate it in what? Soapy hot water to clean your counter, right? You don't just take a dry sponge and like, let's see if that's going to work. It doesn't work. And I think sometimes we, we, we forget or we try to live in peace or to express peace, but we're trying on our own effort. We're trying on our own merit. We're trying on our own skills and abilities and talents. And you know what? We're like a dry sponge, just like scraping against the countertop. But Paul says, let the peace of Jesus rule in your heart. Well, if it's ruling in my heart, where does it already reside? In my heart. So he's saying, if your heart is a sponge, that sponge has been just immersed in that soapy hot water. It is saturated, and when it gets squeezed, what comes out? Just soapy hot water everywhere, right? And that's what our heart is. It is saturated with the peace of Jesus. It is filled with the peace of Jesus. Because when I say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to following Jesus, where does Jesus reside? In my heart. The presence of God is now with me. The Spirit of God, it says, lives within me, within you. And the God that we are talking about is characterized by many different descriptions of love and joy and kindness and self-control. But one of those descriptors is, I'll give you one guess. One word to describe God, peace. He's the prince of peace, the spirit of peace, the God of peace. And so when we say yes to Jesus, our heart is like that sponge immersed in that bucket of hot soapy water. We are immersed in the peace of Jesus. So that when we go live our lives out in our workplace or in the, at the cafeteria at school or in our church or in our homes or wherever we're at and our life feels squeezed, how many of you felt squeezed this week? That what comes out is not your best effort or your peace or the peace of this world. It is the peace of Jesus. That's who we are. Paul says as Christians, this is who we are. When he says in, in verse 15 that we read, he says, as members of one body, you are called to peace. 
When we say yes to Jesus, we are brought into the family of God. We're a part of his body, as Paul talks about, the body of Christ. And the head of that body is who? Jesus. But we are a part of the body of Christ. And that, as a part of that family, as a part of that body, as a part of God's family, we are called to peace. Called to peace. We are uh, challenged to that. As members of the family, this is the standard that we are held to. And I thought about that idea of being called to peace, you know, and, and when you're a part of something, you're called to a standard, right? And, and thinking about our family, if you want to be a part of the Nolt family, the five of us, right, we have our own standards that we live by. And I'd, I'd be curious what you think our standards are, uh, but not too curious. I'm not that curious. Don't shout it out. But a few years back, we were uh, at a conference and April sat in this parenting workshop and a, and a pastor uh, was talking that uh, we really have a, a lot of respect for, and they began talking about their family and having family rules, which isn't uncommon. A lot of people have family rules, but they talked about these simple statements uh, of not just rules and parameters and guidelines, but these became more value statements for their family. This is who our family is. And so for us, we, we kind of put that in the slow cooker for the last few years and let that simmer. We didn't really know. We didn't want to just copy and paste what they were doing. We really thought about it. And we kind of landed on some verbiage that worked for us. These are, these are our statements of value of this is who the Nults are. So if you are a part of our family, this is the standard that you are, as Paul would say, called to. As a part of the Nult family, you are called to treat people like they matter. That is a statement that we say now in our family. You treat people like they matter, whether it's your siblings, your parents, or anyone. As a Nult, we treat people like they matter. Uh, a second one is that Nults never give up. We have three statements, so don't worry. You, know, you, know, you don't have to write like 10 points. You don't even have to write these down. I'm just telling you what our statements are, right? Nults treat people like they matter. Nults never give up. We don't quit. Learning to ride our bike, doing our chores, Whatever it is, we just don't quit. Multiplying fractions, I know we want to quit. We're not going to quit, right? We join a sports team for the season, we're not going to quit. We, we, we say yes to a commitment, we're not giving up on that. That is a part of our value of who we are as a family. And the, the third one is the Nolts have fun. The Nolts have fun. If you know April and I and our kids, we like to have fun. It is just a part of our DNA of who we are as a family. These are three simple statements. Notes treat people like they matter. The notes never give up. And the notes have fun. That's important to us. And they're simple things that our kids, and we hold our kids to it, but you know what? Our kids can hold us to it. This is what we're called to. Jesus did the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. In a very famous passage called the Beatitudes, he's laying out his family values. Saying, this is my family. This is my kingdom the kingdom of God, and we are a part of that kingdom as his family, as people who say yes to Jesus. And he says this in Matthew 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. It's a family value statement. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God or daughters of God. You will be part of his family. You will be children of God. Not because you show peace. Okay, let's not mix that up. Some of us might read that and say, okay, if I make peace with people, then I'm a part of God's family. No, 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 that's not it. It's because I'm a part of God's family, I make peace. You see, the other direction of that equation would mean 
I have to do something to be part of God's family. No, it's not about that. It's not how we believe we're part of God's family. We're part of God's family through grace, through belief, through faith, not through doing for Jesus. But if I'm a part of God's family, Jesus says, this is who my family is. My family makes peace. This is who we are as his sons and his daughters. We are to be people who show peace, contending for peace. So here's a tough question for us. Are Christians perceived as peacemakers in today's culture? Is the church characterized as a place of peace for outsiders? If Jesus says, this is my family, this is how my family is to be known and perceived, is that the perception? Do people think of Christians and they think peacemakers? Right? When you heard my value statements, and some of you that know us really well, and you heard me say, Nolts have fun, you're like, yeah, no duh. Nolts always have fun. Super Bowl parties, barbecues. Sean makes everything just into a game, so he likes to have fun. Right? You get it. You see it. You hear it. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. How many of you would say that people look at the church, they look at Christians across the country or across the nation or across the globe and would say, yeah, those are peacemakers? Children of God are peacemakers. In my opinion, this is strictly Sean's opinion. I have not taken a thorough survey of this. In my opinion, from what I see and hear, I'd say the answer is no. I don't think the church, the global church, carries with it the perception that we are making peace. Christians are often viewed as contentious, divided. We're known for what we are against more than what we are for, what we disagree with. We dig our heels in. In all honesty, I think we could look at the, at the church and we could say, well, I think we're, we're falling into the same patterns of this world. We're, we're no different. The world is fighting for, for their peace, not the peace of Jesus. But Jesus says his family is supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to live different in this. The peace of Jesus is supposed to come out of us to the point where people would look at the church and say, man, those people contend for peace. And I would say, if you, if you would answer that question in the negative of saying no, well, we have an opportunity to change the narrative. We have an opportunity to change perception because in the midst of our culture right now, there is so much negativity. I mean, I, I literally quit Facebook and Instagram because it was just the answer to that question is no. I couldn't tell the peacemakers in our world. My wife was reading an article and, and, and it bothered her because it was like 15 Christmas songs we should get rid of written by a Christian author. 15 Christmas songs we should destroy and get rid of. And I think they were trying to be sarcastic and funny, which tends to be my default. Uh, but I think as we were processing it and talking about it, she began to realize our world is so negative. This didn't stand out. It just blended in with the negativity. We're supposed to post different things. We're supposed to say different things. We're supposed to stand out from the crowd. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the sons of God, the daughters of God. We're supposed to be different. So let's change the narrative, right? 
Let's change perception. How do we do this? How do we express peace? How do we get peace out of us, not just in us? And Paul says in, in, in verse 15, we'll go back to it. He says, let's throw it up there. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To rule in our hearts. So the peace of Christ is not just in us, but what do we do? We give it a position of authority to rule, to direct, to lead, to guide. Uh, that word rule is translated as it would be for umpire or referee, like in a sports competition. And so Paul is saying, let the peace of Jesus be the umpire of your heart, right? And, and what do we tend to do with umpires and referees? My kid's in basketball right now. I can give you some clean and unclean examples of what we do to referees. I'm watching parents uh, of 10-year-olds Freak out like it's the NBA Finals on these teenage referees. Holding, slapping, getting in the way. What are you doing? They're smothering my child. Bah, bah, bah. Mama bear, papa bear, just coming out on these little referees. Because we haven't given them authority. And, and a referee with their striped shirt and their whistle is supposed to be given an authority to say that ball was inbounds or out of bounds. That was a foul. That wasn't a foul. That was a, that was a, 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 a field goal. That wasn't a field goal. Whatever it is. And so what Paul is saying is that the peace of Jesus is meant to be the deciding factor when we're in a moment of uncertainty or decision or conflict or, or, or difficulty with somebody, and we're wondering, maybe you felt this this week, how do I handle this situation? What do I say to this text I just got? What do I say to this voicemail I just got or this email I just got or that conversation really bothered me? How many of you had one of those this week? Somebody say 40 of them this week? It happens. In fact, if we were to just think about it, let's pause and think about it for a moment. I want you to think about a recent moment of contention for you, of conflict, a moment where you lacked peace, and you're like, joy to the world, Sean. Thank you. Let's dwell on this for a moment. But I want you to think about it because they come constantly via text, email, calls, voicemails, face-to-face -face interactions with bosses and supervisors, with employees, with coworkers, with spouses, with kids, with grandparents, with parents, with teachers, with classmates, with students, church people, never with your pastor, of course, but, you know, other people. Even strangers or the barista at Starbucks. I watched a lady go off because her drink was wrong. It's the reality. We'll do to a stranger. We'll do to our kids. We'll do it to all these people. But, but to think about that moment where there was a division, there was conflict, a disagreement, and you felt that internal anger and envy and uncertainty or whatever emotion came. And in the middle of that, what Paul is saying is in that moment of decision, what do we do? We give the authority to the peace of Jesus, the true peace of Jesus, not the peace of this world, the peace of Jesus, the wholeness of Jesus that is not circumstantial, not selfish, not self-absorbed and, and self-serving and ambitious, but the peace of Jesus, that true wholeness, completeness, stability, shalom, we allow that to decide. How do I respond to that text? How do I respond to that email? How do I call that person right now? 
Let that be the referee, the umpire. He's saying give that true authority because you know what you're doing in that moment? You're giving Jesus the authority to lead your life. That's what saying yes to Jesus is all about, is that in every email, every conversation, every interaction, every call, every text, every Facebook post, I give Jesus the authority to be the referee, to be the leader, to say, yeah, Sean, that's out of bounds. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's going to bring wholeness and peace and completeness to this relationship. But this is not. How many of you have wavered in that before? You've read a text and then deleted it. You, nope, 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 nope. That's the peace of Jesus ruling in your heart right in that moment. But what Paul is saying is to give it that authority constantly because it's in you. It's in you. If you've said yes to Jesus, you've got that in you, and it's about contending for and establishing wholeness in those relationships and with that person. It's about wholeness. And when we talk about peace, I think it is so important to talk about wholeness. The peace of Jesus is wholeness. It is not a lack of difficulty or conflict or all perfect tranquility and everything. The peace of Jesus is about wholeness. Wholeness with God, wholeness within ourselves, wholeness with each other. That's That's the peace of God. That's the peace of Jesus. That's the peace that Jesus came to bring us. And I think it's important to talk about wholeness because we have this kind of convoluted idea of what peace can be. And it has really helped me this week in talking about this idea of what am I contending for? Because throughout the New Testament, you're going to see the early church needed to be reminded. Everybody wants to be the early church, by the way. Uh, They were messed up too. Okay, so you think it's tough in 2021. The the early church didn't have it any better. They were messed up, and Paul and Peter and John and James, all of them had to tell them, hey guys, live at peace. Live at peace with each other. Because we're human, and we're angry, and we're selfish, and we're contentious, and we want us, and we want ourselves, and we want our prerogatives, and our plans, and our agendas, and we want all of this stuff. And Paul, and Peter, and John, and all these guys that followed Jesus, and were pioneering the early church, had to tell them constantly, Live at peace, meaning live in wholeness with each other. And Paul says this to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, a very simple statement. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, I could do a sermon part two on this whole scripture. Uh, So you ready? We've only been here for an hour and 15 minutes. You ready for more? No, I'm just kidding. But, but look at that verse for just a little bit, and you'll see Paul says to live at wholeness, to strive for wholeness and completeness and shalom with everyone who likes you. Nope. Everyone who votes with you. Everyone who goes to your church. No, it says Everyone. I mean, just let that sink in. You could preach a whole message on that. You could have a great table discussion with your family this week. To live at peace with everyone, let that sink in for a moment. But then he says, as far as it depends on you. So what does that mean? It means it's going to take effort. There are going to be times where it's going to be very complicated and difficult. But what I also see is we do what we can, not what they can. A lot of times we want to live at peace with people and say, well, I'll be fine if they would just... If that person, if this party, if that group, if that whatever would just blank, right? And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying as far as it depends on them, no, he says on you. 
Live at peace with your spouse as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with your kids as it depends on you. Live at peace with your neighbors as far as it depends on you. Your coworker, your boss, your employees, your teacher, your whatever. To live at peace as far as it depends on you. We have a responsibility here. And when we start talking about wholeness for the peace, right? I think it's helpful because otherwise I would read this and I would say, okay, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. And I would have this idea of peace being a lack of conflict. How many of you love to avoid conflict? And all the people, please just raise their hands. Our natural tendency is to think of peace in terms of not having conflict, not wholeness. And let's think about some of our tendencies as humans in the midst of conflict and tension and difficulty and awkwardness and uncertainty. What is our tendencies? What are our tendencies? Uh, I don't think we need to show hands, but you can just internally show of hands. Uh, how many of you or us tend to avoid the problem? We just, when we feel that tension with people, we just want, let's just avoid it. Let's turn an eye, a blind eye to it. Let's change the subject. Let's just not talk about it. We just don't see it the same. Let's just, no, no problems here. This is Christmas Eve. We are not having problems at Christmas Eve in this house. We turn an eye to that is blind, right? We avoid the problem. I avoid the problem with my child or with my spouse or with my boss. How many of us deny the problem? It's not just avoid it. How many of us deny the problems? It's not that big a deal. I'm going to create excuses and justifications and reasons and rationales for why they do it. What am I doing? I'm just denying that it's really a big problem. Why? Because I don't want to deal with it. How many of us just give up on the problem? We just let them do whatever they want. Let's just agree to disagree, okay? Fine. We just, right? But I'm going to give up on this problem. Let's just let them do whatever they want. You talk about whatever you want at the Christmas table. Go for it. All right, and I will just bite my tongue. You kid, just, just thrash the house however you want. Go for it. And we just give up on the problems, right? We just give up on our spouse. We give up on these things, and we just let them do whatever we want. And we, we tell us, that, well, it's just not worth the fight anymore. I'm done fighting. I don't want to do this. How many of us, instead of giving up, denying, or avoiding, how many of us try to control problems? We're convincing, we're arguing, we're manipulating so that they'll see it and do it the same way we would. Is that our prerogative? Is that the way we handle those moments? I'm striving for peace because I'm going to convince you of this is how and why you're wrong. One person laughed. The rest of us felt, ugh. We're controlling the problem to try to find peace. If you would just read this article, you will see it the way I see it. You'll, I'll tell you why you're wrong and why I'm right, and we will agree on all this, and we will be in harmony. But if you, you got to read this article first. <laughs> you see, the problem with all of this is, and, and, and I probably do all of them as I'm sitting here looking at this list. Uh, I've done most, if not all, of these with my wife, my kids, my in-laws, my own parents. The problem is, is I'm trying to pursue a peace that's really about my comfort zone, not wholeness in that relationship. And that is a big difference. 
We're not trying to find wholeness in the relationship. I'm just trying to like get them to believe what I believe or see the way I see it. I'm trying to avoid the conflict. I'm trying to just get through the holidays. How many of us just try to get through the holidays? That's not the peace that Jesus brought us. And that's where the different approach kicks in. Living at peace with everyone, I think, starts with us thinking about, well, what did Jesus do to establish peace with you? Did Jesus ever avoid the problem? And say, like, oh, it's okay, you can keep sinning. Sure, you can just continue to do that. Did Jesus ever deny the problem? Oh, I don't see that, <laughs> right? Do we ever see him in his ministry, like, just deny problems? Like, I, this guy's living in sin. Well, it's fine. He's just a dude. Does Jesus ever give up on problems or control? No, he doesn't do that, right? But, but the way he brought peace to you and brought peace to me and brought peace to us is through these themes and these ideas and these, these concepts of sacrifice and humility, through forgiveness and selflessness, through grace and truth. That's how you've experienced the peace of Jesus. And so... If Jesus was sitting here, I think he would just say, well, to express the peace of Jesus that you've experienced, go and do likewise. Go sacrifice for somebody. Go forgive somebody. Go be selfless with them. Go navigate this situation with grace and with truth. Thinking about those difficult circumstances that you and I are in this last week or what's coming up ahead, and you know that difficult conversation is going to have to happen, and you're wondering, like, how do I bring peace to this, Sean? How do I bring wholeness to this relationship? Well, how would it bring wholeness if you sought to understand rather than be understood? What would the difference be? See, in the midst of conflict, I want to be understood. But, but what if it was, I want to understand where they're at, not be understood? What if we seek to forgive more than be forgiven? In the midst of conflict, we want to be forgiven. But what if I was the champion to forgive first. I'm going to go into that with forgiveness. What if I sought to listen faster than to be heard? To empathize rather than sympathize, right? I, I want sympathy in a situation that's difficult, but rather I'm going to go into this and I'm going to try to empathize with the other person, understand, listen, ask questions, walk a mile in their sandals, or even just a footstep. It's a different approach, and that's what Paul is challenging us to, to pursue the very peace that Jesus has extended to us, now go extend it to other people. Go express that to other people. And I think, as I thought about this this week, and the moments that you're feeling, and I'm feeling of uncertainty and difficulty and emails and texts and conversations that need to be had or whatever, How do I express wholeness to that person? Not what I want. Not what I gain. Not what makes me feel better. What makes us better? What actions, what words, what thoughts, what choices would bring wholeness to that relationship? And my prayer for us is that this Christmas season, we continue to see that Jesus has extended us peace so that we can experience peace and we can go express peace. So let's let peace out. Let's pray. 
If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.